Scott, I'm here with Pastor William Shiplett. Uh, pastor William is the pastor of Reasoning, Reasoning Tree Church in Edinburgh, Virginia. I tried to combine the town and the name of the church all at once, so so hopefully I don't do that on the podcast. But it's good to have you here, Pastor. How are you? Today? I'm doing doing good, doing great, great. Uh, we are discussing this book, The Creedal Imperative, by. Uh, Dr. Carl R. Truman. It's an excellent book. We encourage you to purchase this uh, wherever you purchase your uh, Christian books and follow along with us because it's uh, it's very good. Dr. Truman gives an excellent explanation uh, uh, for the need for creeds in the church uh, today. Of course, we are just starting. We're in chapter one, and the title of chapter one is The Cultural Case Against Creeds and Confessions. So, Dr. Uh, Truman, uh, I call, I'm going to tell, I'm going to call his quotes Truman, Trumanism. Okay. <laughs> so there, he starts with a Trumanism. He says, there are powerful forces at work within our modern world that militate against adherence to historic statements of the Christian faith. And he gives uh, three basic um, presuppositions to which he holds to be true for the case for uh, confessions to be sound ones. So we're going to go over those briefly, and then we're going to talk about how the culture uh, is counter against these particular uh, assumptions. His first assumption is the past is important and has things of positive relevance uh, to teach us. Agree? Absolutely agree, and it was interesting. This morning we were talking about, um, at least my wife and I, Lisa, mm-hmm. uh, just talking about what we would be dealing with this morning, and uh, the point he makes about how people don't want us to glean anything from the past, and yet one of the most uh, abusive terms you can label at someone in this culture just now is the word Nazi. Mm-hmm. So apparently there are things, and see, it's another one of those inconsistencies of our culture. We say the past isn't important, but then we trot out uh, an insult like that, right. which clearly implies we don't want to be like Nazis, mm-hmm. ergo there is something to learn from the past. Right. So uh, so that's a, that's a great point, though. That is part of our culture's uh, inconsistency in that the past is gone, it's it's over, it's over, it, you know, well, we don't need to know that stuff. Right. And they still teach history in school, uh, do they not? Well, I, I hope so. so. I hope so. I hope, I, so. You know, I hope they do, too. There, but, you know, there's so much history to learn now. Mm-hmm. The further we go, the more history there is to know. Right. Uh, and it becomes a matter of really uh, dwelling on the important aspects of history. But nevertheless, there, there's an arrogance there that says, well, the past is past. We don't need that anymore. Mm-hmm. That's really very uh, unfortunate. Right. The uh, second point he brings out is language must be an appropriate vehicle for the stable transmission of truth across time and geographical uh, space. So you agree with that? Yes. As well? Yeah. The importance of language. Mm-hmm. Again, you can, you can find examples of 
of uh, inconsistency there. A person uh, would say to you, well, language really isn't important, but they're using language to express, to express that. that. It's, it's one of those, it's one of those uh, things that we have in our culture today. Just uh, You just don't understand how people cannot see this, right. how they cannot see these things. But yes, absolutely. Uh, language is important. And we have to recognize its importance if we're going to gain and learn anything. Right. And language is, is a tool. And a tool can be used for good or it can be used for evil. Exactly. Um, exactly. As well. So is point number three. There must be a body or an institution that can authoritatively compose and enforce creeds and confessions. That's true also, isn't it? It is, it is true. And, of course, he, the last time we talked about it, that, that he made the point that everybody has a creed and confession. Right. Everybody does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether it's a religious creed or not, everybody has a mission statement right. or, or something of that nature that they expect you to adhere to. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he makes this point, uh, not in this way at least, but I'm, I'm just always fascinated at why people are so determined not to have any kind of spiritual creed or guidelines. But they insist that we have them in every other area. Right. And again, you have that, that inconsistency. So his three presuppositions are very important to engaging the culture about how they're unbalanced in the way they're viewing those things. Mm-hmm. Next, he, he talks about devaluing the past. And we live in a culture that does devalue the past. Uh, he says that he first brings out uh, how we devalue the past in science. And a truism is science by its very nature assumes that the present is better than the past and the future will be better than the present. Now, I don't know if that is always true or maybe just generally the case, but uh, one thing we hear nowadays is uh, in social media, on the news, and uh, other outlets that we have, is to follow the science. Right. We're supposed to follow the science. Right. So, uh, what does that what does that tell us about science de- denying or devaluing uh, the past? Well, he makes some great points, and we that you and I would agree with. I am especially thankful for medical science, right? The things that can be done now, and the further we go, uh, the better. Uh, I'm not sure "better" is the right word, but the easier it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son had to have a, my oldest son had to have a, uh, catech, catech, what do you call it? Where they go and look at your heart? Oh, catheterization? Catheterization. Uh, okay. Yeah. They had to have, he had to have a catheterization. Just a few years ago, they were gro- going in your groin to right. do that. They went in his hand. Mm-hmm. The technology is that advanced now. Right. Uh, and that's a wonderful thing. Less invasive, easier to, to do, uh, etc. So I'm, I'm very, uh, I, I, I greatly value medical science and the advances there. The, the problem is, and there are other books out on this, that the difference between science and scientism, and scientism is the belief that science is the answer to everything. Right. And of course, it isn't. And science cannot guarantee that it is used properly in the future. Mm-hmm. And so that's what that whole idea, yes, from a scientific perspective, there are a number of things that are better today than most human beings would agree with. 
uh, our ability to the, the ability we have to raise the kind of food that we raise. Mm-hmm. Where uh, you know, two hundred years ago, you were you worked like a dog to raise enough for you and your family. Right uh, now, we we raise enough that we we could feed everyone in the world. Right. Uh, so that's a good benefit of science. But when you when when science begins to say, therefore, that everything in the past was bad, mm-hmm. simply because now is better, that's where you get into that's where you get into danger. Right. Well, science itself. Well, before I make this statement, let me ask you a question. What is like the root definition of of science? Oh. You know, is it not uh, the gaining of knowledge? Is Science is the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation, experimentation, and the testing of theories against the evidence obtained. Mm-hmm. And uh, the experimentation against the evidence that we have discovered is what really makes science reliable. Mm-hmm. And un- unfortunately, one of the things that is happening in our culture, it's kind of a secondary note for our discussion, but that we're getting away from that experimentation. We're saying follow the science without any testing, right. without any, you know, and we saw this especially during the COVID stuff and the vaccine vaccines and everything. They'd never been tested, but we were told they were safe. Now, uh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist here, and I'm not saying all the people that got the, the, the vaccine are going to somehow die. I'm simply pointing out that we just bypassed that part of the rule. Mm-hmm. And we said, okay, it works. Here it is. Bang. Instead of having prolonged tests, and a lot of people were opposed to the vaccine, not from some conspiracy perspective, but because every other vaccine in human history had undergone a long testing period, the experimentation, and Mm -hmm. then they were able to say, based on the experimentation, it is safe, which we did not have this time. But yes, science tends to uh, devalue the past. We've mentioned the uh, uh, the benefits of science. Mm-hmm. The the detriment of science is we tend to look back, and especially in Christian c- connections, they look back at the Bible and the descriptions of demon possession and things like that, and say, "Oh, that none of that stuff happened because they were just living in a primitive culture where they didn't have the medical science we have now." And in that way, then they devalue uh, things of the past. Mm-hmm. And and I would go I would go one step beyond Dr. Truman. They actually demonize the past. It's not enough just right. to say it's better now. But those people back there were just just horrific. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, one one of the things uh, uh, that we found during the COVID situation is that uh, the science was constantly changing, constantly changing, constantly. You know, they would tell us. This one week, and then by the time the next week rolled around, they were telling something almost totally opposite that what they had told us before. So when you compare science to the Word of God, that's a huge difference because it, of the Word of God never changes. Never changes, exactly. And, and that's why it's so important uh, to have the kind of creeds and things that are the basis of this study. Mm-hmm. The importance of guiding truth. I wrote this down, I read it in a different book, but uh, Karl Barth said that creeds express the church's resistance to strange voices. Mm. The 
way we stay with what we believe to be true is by the constant rehearsing of those beliefs. Right. And uh, and it and and again, granted, there's discussion around how the creeds came to be formulated, but once they were formulated, they are virtually unchanged for 1,700 years. Right. Uh, that is an example of exactly one testimony. Yeah. It is yeah. when you compare it to science, it changes sometimes <laughs> daily, day to day. And by the way, uh, along those lines, uh, Michael Behe, who is a evolutionist, mm-hmm. and he, he 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 confesses to be a Christian, and he but he's written a new m- number of books challenging evolution from Darwin's perspective. That Darwin's take on evolution is wrong. But he, I saw him on a on a uh, interview program one time, and he said that even the modern, uh, the current cosmology about the creation of the Earth, because it's a scientific finding, is subject to change in the future. Mm-hmm. We might discover something in the future that unline, un, un, uh, that alters or changes this. And I would point out to folks how often you see on the. Uh, on Facebook, on podcast or something, there's this new discovery and it'll say it completely has rewritten our understanding of the, uh, of, yeah. of evolution of human. Well, that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. That there, it is constantly in flux. Right. It is constantly. And in fact, a, a objective scientist, and there are many of them out there, they will tell you the science by its very nature, science is never settled. Right. The whole point of science is exploration, study, experimentation to find out, mm-hmm. and and so uh, uh, so this is where we have to we have to know uh, a little bit about science in a broader sense to see how it is not always the enemy of the past. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it isn't, and it will actually validate and uphold what we know about the past. Right. There's a lot of people that put their hope in science. And I find that a little distressing because of exactly what you just said. You know, the Christian's hope is found in Christ. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He never changes and never will change. So uh, that, to me, is leaps and bounds beyond Right science and what science has to offer. But like you said, science has given us many, many good things and it's going to give us many good things in the future. And it's only because of the grace that God has extended right. uh, and, to, to and, us through Christ. Right. And where it is misused is evidence of man's brokenness. Right. If it was, if science was wholly good, then yes, we could say it will never do anything harmful. Okay, but the fact that it does have the ability to do harm as well as good, mm-hmm. and can very easily be used in that way, and and Doctor Truman brings that out about the Holocaust, uh, the the and, the and and other kinds of atrocities like that, where scientific knowledge was used to destroy life. Right. Uh, if science was a, uh, an uh, what is it? Um, isolated, anonymous, autonomous good, then we could rejoice. Right. But in the hands of humans, right. it can be misused. 
And so it proves the brokenness of the human race. Something's wrong. Something's wrong with, with us. And, you know, if you've ever done it, this, uh, it, it watched any movies or uh, read books about the atomic bomb and the kind of angst that the scientists went through, know, knowing they were they, the, the potential to unlock this enormous power source, but the constant dread of how it could be misused right. if it falls into the wrong hands. And by the way, 80 years later, we're still having that discussion. Right. So science has great promise, but because of the brokenness of human humans. And this is where I would say to, to that person who, who would look at it and say, well, science proves we don't need God. <laughs> I got to tell you, I don't agree with that no, assumption simply because of how man is capable of misusing, of misusing the power of science and the discoveries that that we have we have come upon, mm-hmm. you know. So, well, Doctor Truman, he goes on and he gives his uh, response to a student in one of his classes on the ancient church when she questioned the value of her attendance in the, in that class. She said, after all, some documents written in the seventeenth. Uh, century seemed to have very little to do with her ministry. Uh, but Dr. Uh, Truman's response was perfect, I, think, I thought. He said, I suggested with every ounce of gentleness and tact I could muster that she might perhaps better ask herself not so much what relevance they have to her ministry, but what relevance her ministry had to the church. Yeah. So uh, what are your comments on that and how that uh, kind of reflects human well, that, response that, yeah. looking back at the past? So here's, here's, how, I would, uh, here's how I would respond to it. Uh, that, that idea that that stuff really doesn't have any impact today. Well, first off, it's a very narrow statement because she lives in a country that has certain rights and privileges, for example, her opportunity to go to college mm-hmm. that is guaranteed by things that were made, were written right. in the 17th, in the 18th yeah. century, right. uh, uh, three, 400 years ago. So the idea that nothing that was written back then really benefits us. The second thing I would point out for her or anyone like her is that how frequently we encounter things in our modern time that were in fact excuse me, were in fact encountered in the past. Mm -hmm. So right now what you hear a lot of is you'll hear some big name person come out and say that they, they're no longer Christian. They're deconstructing. Uh, They've, they've looked at it and they've examined it and they've decided now that it's wrong and it's fake and there's nothing to Christianity. Mm -hmm. So a few weeks ago, I was able to get a book called a crisis of doubt. And he examined uh, about 40 or 50 people, six or seven of them in depth. But then he highlighted in the appendix another 20, 30, 40 people who were, who were Christians in England in the period between 1820 and 1870 or 1890, who were Christians, known to be Christians, came out, announced that they were no longer Christians, that the Bible was wrong, it was not God's word, that Christ was not, was not God, etc., and went out and became spokesmen for, or women, 
for the uh, atheist skeptical movement, and and some of them were in that movement for two or three decades, and then came back to Christianity. So so that's another thing. So here again, she's saying nothing written back there really has any relevance today. And I would say, hold on. If I go back there and look, I find people who went through the same kind of crisis then as people are going through now. And again, what do I see there? It's really nothing. Nothing's really changed with the human race. We have more technology. We have more convenience. We have more power. We have more potential. But our brokenness is just as deep as it ever was. Yes. And that's why I like what C.S. Lewis says or said. He said, for every new book you read, read an old book. And when he said old books, he meant the classics. Right. So, so, uh, so, uh, Lewis living in the, the forties, fifties and sixties, who had once been an atheist, came back to his faith. Um, he says that there's great value in the, the accounts of, of, of the past. So, uh, this is, this is again an area where I would say she's wrong on multiple levels. You know, not just the question of whether her ministry is going to benefit anybody, but falling into that trap of thinking, and this is so important for so many people at so many levels, falling into the trap of thinking that I really come up with something new. And uh, when you really look at things, you find out, you know, it's just not that way. There's nothing new. Nothing new under the sun. Well, one thing that struck me when when I read this, uh, and I don't mean any uh, excessive criticism towards this young lady because sure. you know I, I've probably said the same thing in the past too. But she said her ministry. Right. Now, it, who the ministry ultimately belongs to? It belongs to the Lord. Yeah, right. and we all use that phrase, and it's appropriate to use it. But but when when I think I think the danger is setting my ministry, quote unquote, up against somebody else's ministry. Right. And so here's Dr. Truman, and here's an example. Dr. Truman's ministry at that moment was expounding these historic truths. Right. When she says, I really don't need that because it doesn't help my ministry without realizing it. And again, I, I like what you said. We've all done it, especially when we were younger. You know, we we were younger. We, we said stupid things and right. thought things that uh, weren't uh, weren't as balanced as we should come to realize as we get older. Uh, but but what she was really doing was setting her own perspectives against the ministry of someone else and not thinking about how if uh, and that's that's tricky but 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 that's another thing I would I would point out there. Well, he goes on and he talks about how culture devalues the past in technology. Now, technology is something uh, most of us benefit from. Uh, I think of technology. I remember when I was a child, we had TV that had uh, three channels, I believe, three or four channels. And you actually had to get up out of your chair and turn, (laughs) turn those channels. You had to get up and turn it on manually, uh, which... Probably a lot of uh, kids nowadays, they would uh, gasp yeah, if they had yeah. to do uh, something like that. Um, a truism that he brought out was no longer is the younger dependent on the older, 
Rather, the older is dependent upon the younger, which is very, very true because we, uh, we switched from uh, direct TV to just streaming not too long ago. And uh, we needed some Wi-Fi extenders in the house. Well, I tried to, I tried to hook it up. I couldn't get it, so I invited my grandson over, and I, I don't think it took him more than two minutes right. to have the whole thing up and right. and, and running. So yeah. um, now I realize how dependent I am yeah. uh, when it comes to technology, right. at least on that. But the question I have: uh, Can God be explained by technology? No, no, no. I, I don't believe God can be explained by technology. Uh, I and I and uh, the short answer I would give to try to try to give a short answer is again that idea that our brokenness mm-hmm. technology cannot fix our brokenness. Right. Uh, if you're good at it, and, and let us be let us be fair here, that young people they are good at it because. They are born with it, where you and I are in that generation where it happened after we'd already spent half our lives without it. Right. Uh, and and depending on what part of the world you are raised in, even now, there are parts of the country that, that aren't nearly as technological. Uh, but, but, uh, but, but it cannot fix your brokenness, no matter how much technology you have. And let's, let me give you an example of where technology is leading us just now. Uh, my wife works at Walmart, and she was told that the Walmart in Winchester, one of the Walmarts in Winchester, Virginia, is all self-checkout, except mm-hmm. for three three registered. The rest of it's all self-checkout. Wow. Now, I'm not against that, but my question is, what do we do with those people? What are, what are they going to do with their time? If everything was automated, what do us humans do with our time? Right. And there's an old adage that is absolutely accurate. Idle hands are the devil's workplace. So that as we become more technologically dependent, quote unquote, mm-hmm. what are we humans going to do with all our time? Right. Uh, and what we will find is, more people will fall into destructive behaviors, drug addiction, uh, and, and, and other things because it just, we have to have some purpose for being. Mm-hmm. So the technology cannot replace, and my argument, by the way, is that much technology can serve to keep us too busy to know how miserable we are, mm-hmm. but it cannot replace that deep sense of there must be something more to my life. What I'm currently experiencing and that to me is the evidence that technology can never replace God. No matter how much we have, right. there's always this gnawing inside that says and for 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 any, for any number of people, if we think these things through, everybody doesn't have the technology we have. The things we take for granted. Uh, give you an example. So the other week, an email was inadvertently sent out in our church that led people to think we were praying for someone's cat. Hmm. Uh, and some of the responses were, yeah, we'll pray for your cat. 
At the same time that I saw that, I saw a post from a Facebook minister friend in India who had posted a picture of a crate and said, this is the newest chair in our church. You see how the difference with the cultures, what we just take for granted here is, is, uh, is celebrated. The simplest thing is celebrated and thanking God for that. Uh, and the contrast between the two cultures shows that what technology is doing on, on our part of the world is making us more frivolous. Uh, I don't want to downplay anyone's affection for their animals, but when you set it beside something else going on in the world, uh, you can see how, how there's a brokenness. Yep. There's something in us that's broken, and, and that cannot be replaced by technology. You right. can't. Well, uh, a lot of the uh, the same points that you brought out for science can be also brought out for technology. Right. And one of the things you said is the dependency that we have on that. And I've found in in my life, and I'm sure it's, this is true with other people as well, the more you become dependent on something, the less dependent you are on, say, God or something. So... Uh, and one of the things I noticed is uh, we went on a trip one time, and we we were hungry, very hungry, and we stopped to get something to eat. And there's a big sign on the door that says, uh, uh, we're closed because electricity's out. So, you know, yeah. we... Uh, we couldn't eat because there was no electricity. Right. Well, I wonder what people did back in eighteen, in the seventeen hundreds, right. when there was no electricity. Right. Of course, they were able to eat. But uh, maybe, well, maybe I'm making a silly point. But no, no, no. I think it's a great point. Let's take, for example, uh, in our area, and this is with all uh, acknowledgement to our friends up in the north who really have to deal with winter. Right. But around here, we get a call for two inches of snow, and people go crazy. They go to the store and buy up like they're going to be out. They're going to be trapped in for weeks. Yeah. And I have lived in this area all my life. But in the time that I've been in this church, I rem- and that's 29 years, we're in our 30th winter. Uh, uh, we have had one winter where it was really bad for three or four days. Uh the, the very fact that people react like that, well, why don't you just trust technology? Why don't you just why don't you just believe in the technology? Because there's a sense of there, there's a point at which technology cannot cannot save us, cannot help us. To be continued, we will continue this conversation in the next episode. And it keeps getting more and more interesting. Be sure to like and share this with your friends, and be sure to subscribe to our channel. Thanks for listening.